We got two intro videos today, people. The Wildlife Act Fund is dedicated to the conservation of Africa's endangered species, including the African wild dog, cheetah and rhino. The fund focuses on three key areas, wildlife monitoring, anti-poaching and community outreach. Wildlife monitoring answers the basic questions of where these animals are and how they are doing. It also provides critical scientific data including population demographics, movement patterns and disease outbreaks. The Wildlife Act Fund advances monitoring efforts by providing tracking equipment and operational training needed for effective monitoring programs across Africa. The Wildlife Act Fund is also involved in anti-poaching efforts. Poaching is one of the biggest threats facing endangered species. Some species like rhino are the specific target of poachers. Other species like wild dog and cheetah get caught as bycatch in the snares set by poachers hunting for meat. The fund develops measures and technologies such as rhino horn implants and anti-snake collars that help protect these animals. But in order to reduce poaching, we can't rely on technology alone. We need to get local communities involved in understanding the environmental and economic value of wildlife conservation. The Wildlife Act Fund sends outreach staff into local communities to provide education and training. By working in partnership with these communities, we can reduce the impact of poaching. We can't simply pass this problem on to the next generation. If we don't act now, these glorious creatures will disappear forever. I firmly believe that if we aren't able to push back and to try and showcase these animals in their natural environment and that that's where they should be and that we should just allow them. This is our guest today. If we can't do that with an iconic species like the rhino, then it, it doesn't bode well for us as a, as a human race and our interaction on this planet. We really need to wake up and acknowledge what we're doing and the way that we interact with the planet. It's 10 years now since I started working with the rhino, so sometimes you feel like they are part of your life or part of your family at home. <laughs> I've a lot of stories with, those, with these animals. Nzama is our lead black rhino monitor. He really is an expert tracker. We go out in the mornings. Sometimes we do have that tracking device which is helping us to find them easy. But if you don't have that, then you go looking for tracks. It's not only about finding tracks. Maybe the rock that's been kicked off from the trail. Sometimes if they've been wallowing, you see where they're walking, then they'll leave the mud on the path. If you still find the tongue is warm, then you know that you're close to the animals. Monitoring them, it's more like trying to find out their behavior. You need to be there to see what's been going on during the night. Try to get even closer just to see if the condition is fine. It is uh, very important to educate people about the rhinos. Since we started, then you can check, we can see the change and people are starting knowing what's going on around the game reserve. So we're at the Shishliung Falozi Bomas. Shishliung Falozi is a special place because there were less than 50 white rhino left and they were conserved in this space. These guys have been looking after rhino and caring for them for over a century now. Professionals, the top of the game. These animals here, they tell us of the sad reality that the rhinos are facing. Our game is to catch animals and translocate them as soon as possible. But we are finding ourselves having to keep animals over a period of three years. 
what happens is that quite often is people will go for the females, but then once they've shot their mother, the calf doesn't know where to go and they just leave it there to die. And on many occasions we've been lucky to go and retrieve the calves, bring them into the bombers, and we teach them to drink from the bottle. We start introducing the food and the solids to them, and after a year and a half we win them from the milk, and then we put them into this rehab camp where they are able to find their own food and behave like a normal rhino. I mean, I never thought a few years down the line I'll be playing a, a mummy uh, to them. With the amount of rhinos that get poached every year, there is a need to make sure that every single rhino that can be saved, we've got to save it. And it's not things that conservation have always protected for. The sponsorship that have come from Wildlife Act has been very, very enormous for us. And without them, we'd have really, really battled. As Wildlife Act's developed, we've expanded that work to include a number of populations. We help out with the monitoring across a number of different reserves, feeding that information to keep track of the populations and to see how, how well that they're doing. To rehabilitate these animals from youngsters all the way through that you can release them into the wild. And that's the ultimate success is to ensure that these animals continue to contribute to the wild population. There are huge steps that have been taken, collaborations that have been developed and successes that we're seeing. There's definitely this global consciousness being developed around these poaching issues and it doesn't take very long to learn and to love these animals. Come and spend time with us, come and volunteer with us, come and get involved, learn about their amazing behaviors. We work with a number of other different species as well. Go and have a look at www.wildlifeact.com and sign up and come and join us. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Conservation Cast, not muted, big time. Um, I'm sorry we are an hour late. There's a bit of a time zone difference. Um, Simon is located in Botswana currently, um, and he had a lot of traveling yesterday. He spent 15 hours in a rover uh, yesterday doing some research work. Uh, so he just got to, to his computer. Um, also, we did do a test call and there may be some tech issues today that we're going to have to work through or, or uh, put up with. We will see how it goes. Um, internet out there is not, uh, doesn't seem like it's fantastic. Thank you for the $5. All right. Uh, Devil with the $5, Crow with the 10, Ron John with 20, Crash and Burn with 10, and Conch with $27. Um, just so you know, the donations today are going into my paypal and then i'm sending it to them after they don't have a paypal account set up unfortunately um so that's how that's happening today but we've done lots of podcasts like that before so if you make a donation and you see that or you get that receipt just so you know that's what's happening today so we we're talking to simon morgan which i'm very excited about simon morgan is the co-founder and executive trustee of wildlife act um and he is also a black rhino expert Law with the ten dollars spiderland with the ten dollars danza with the 25 thank you so much conch i appreciate that um he also works as associate director for conservation for stanford university's program for conservation genomics um that probably doesn't sound familiar to you guys but it is because um we had this connection through Ellie Armstrong. Uh, Ellie Armstrong was one of our early guests on this podcast. Warber with the $20, a toe with $25. Thank you, thank you. Um, 
Ellie Armstrong does conservation genomics with big cats, and she recommended Simon to me, um, and that's how we got connected. So they work together, which is wonderful. Um, and Simon is also pretty much nomadic, so he moves between the U.S. and South Africa to work with, uh, to work with these animals and to work with the organization itself. Wildlife Act, you guys saw it in the video, but um, they're conservationists. They do a lot of volunteer work. Um, they do a lot of tracking and monitoring to save endangered species. Um, they have programs for black rhinos, painted dogs, vultures, and cheetahs, elephants, lions, leopards, and hyenas out there. They Yes, promote monitoring and research, identify and develop programs with surrounding communities to support biodiversity conservation and socioeconomic development, which we've talked about a few times, um, especially with Diane Fossey Foundation. They do a really, really good job of that, um, or Diane Fossey Fund. It's a very important part of conservation that a lot of organizations miss. So we're talking to one of those today that realize the, realizes the importance of that and educating local communities, which is really exciting. Um, and I'm really pleased that they're doing stuff like that. And uh, they secure existing protected areas to support range expansion for African wildlife. So that is um, the organization that's about Simon Morgan today. Um, hopefully all the tech stuff goes fine. I know it was two intro videos and I know we're about an hour late. So I told him I would call him at 3.15. My time, it is 3.11. There is no poll today uh, because it's not really species specific. They do a lot of species out there or they do a lot of species protection. So we're not going to do a poll, but there will be a quiz at the end of the podcast about the conversation that I have with, uh, Simon today. The quiz is curated by Chuck. Five questions, 20 seconds per question. Um, you guys know the drill. Koopa Steve with $77 and 77 cents. Thank you so much. Um, also for today, so much of this podcast is, uh, my name isn't Mike with the $20. Thank you. Um, so much of what makes this, makes this podcast cool is that you guys can ask as many questions as you want. Um, I don't necessarily get to all those questions, but you can do hashtag ask followed by your question. Um, and it'll take it to a document and I can ask Simon all those questions as we go. I'll have him introduce himself and the organization. Whatever questions you have um, to follow, feel free to ask. And yeah, I think that'll do it. Am I missing any? There's no Quizlet for it. No cheaters. We good to go. Conservation cast, once a month, last Friday of every month. It feels weird, doesn't it? It, it simultaneously feels like it's been forever and that we do this every week <laughs> or that it's just like very natural. I don't know. Um, but it's still happening. It's not the last Friday. Third Friday of every month. You're correct. Monkaroo, thank you for the $50. Monkaroo said, are you going to have a fundraiser? Ugh. I should, but I don't have anything planned. So I don't know. All right. Are you guys ready? Jude Bracey with $50. Thank you so much. All right. I'm going to call up Simon um, and I'm going to, I will be back in just a minute with him.
See you in a sec. Can you hear me? It looks like it's loading. If this doesn't work, we can also go back to your uh, to your phone. I can see it says video connected. It says camera off. Just trying to see where are we? Oh, here we go. Uh, turn off camera. Right, we're in. I can't see you. Yeah, so you'll just be able to hear me, but once you get your camera on, they'll be able to see both of us. Is on. I can see me. <laughs> That's weird. Um, oh, we... wait, I can see you too. Okay, hold on. This is on my yeah. end then. Good job. Okay. <laughs> Um, here we go. Okay. Nice. Okay. Um, so I'm, I see you through the, during the call. Yeah. You, you'll just be able to hear me, but they can see both of us now. Like you saw on the test call. Okay. Great. Great. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I, I am super, super glad that Ellie, uh, put us in connection here. This is exciting. Great. Well, um, yeah, thanks for having me on and hi to everybody and uh, ex excited to chat. Yeah, we have uh, about a thousand people here so far and we've raised $362 already, which is awesome. Um, so if you want to introduce <laughs> if you want to introduce yourself and then tell us about uh, Wildlife Act and, and your involvement, that would be great. If we haven't even started, I was about to start doing handstands just to see how <laughs> we actually Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> you're, you're welcome to. We'll leave that. We'll leave that for later. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, my name's Simon. I'm one of the co-founders of Wildlife Act. We started 
close on 13 years ago now. Um, I think we're going to maybe share our 12-year impact report video that we put together. Yes, I Come. shared it already. They saw that. So, oh, oh, cool. Okay, so everyone's seen that we're involved with um, endangered species is what we focus in on. And we're, you know, a group of three mates that got together and decided that um, wildlife monitoring and management in the Zululand area of South Africa um, was lacking in attention, was kind of at the bottom of the, the ladder of, of focal points. Um, so we decided to provide a free service to protected area managers. So we essentially are attracted to spend time out in the field following and tracking um, endangered species, keeping tabs on the demographics of the population. So in other words, how many are there? How healthy are they? How many males? How many females? How many youngsters are they having every year? And then reporting that through to management, mm -hmm. as well as kind of, you know, if managers do something, we want to understand what impact or effect that has. So if we introduce a, a new pack of wild dogs, for example, into an area, um, it's really important to understand how well did that go? You know, have they settled in? Have they started reproducing with one, you know, with other packs in the area? Um, you know, type of thing so we provide those insights um, and and feedback to the management teams yeah and then you you have a specialization in black rhinos or in rhinos overall yeah so i did my phd on a population of black rhino that um i don't think they like me as much as what i kind of <laughs> grew a, um, affection to, to them i have so. the same problem with birds yeah. <laughs> they just keep on picking or trying to pick your eyes out yeah i um, yeah so i spent quite a bit of time up trees and um you know uh black rhino are quite they're interesting so i don't know if you if if, if the audience knows but in there's five species of rhino and in africa we got two okay. uh, there's a white rhino and a black rhino mm -hmm. um so i focus in on the black rhino population the difference between the white and the black population uh, rhino are the white rhino are grazers, so they um, are eating grass, and they've got a big wide mouth, like a lawnmower, and they're just kind of bulk grazers going along and picking up a lot of grass. There's a black rhino, um, is also known as a hook lip rhino, and it forages, it's, it's kind of got a prehensile lip, almost like a little um, trunk, I guess, like a lip that can grab branches, pull them in, and um, eats, a lot of leaves and, and small branches and things like that. So it's a browser. Got so it. that's the difference. Black rhino is a little bit smaller. And I think it's kind of got small man syndrome. You know, it's got this <laughs> temperament and, and um, not really good eyesight. So very inquisitive. And they'll hear really good hearing, really good sense of smell. So when we um, were monitoring the population, must I walk? Um, basically all day tracking rhino. Uh, there was a population um, that I was collecting data from that had just been released into a new protected area. And I had two expert trackers, um, two Zulu trackers, and we would follow those rhinos and see um, what they had done through the night because they, they're mostly nocturnal actually. And so we didn't know much about black rhino and, and their habits and, and what they did. So following their footprints kind of backwards enabled us to see what they had done through the night. So we'd find ah. them just as the sun was coming up. And then these um, Thomas and Zama incredible trackers would follow um, them 
backwards and see, you know, what had they been eating, where did they sleep, um, where did they drink, and then I would follow along behind the guys with my uh, GPS and the notebook and, and take notes, and so that's how I studied their kind of nocturnal behavior. Um, but obviously, we would encounter them fairly often, um, mm -hmm. and they would um, around a lot and would spend quite a bit of time on the trees hiding. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that they were nocturnal. That's interesting. Um, and then you guys also do uh, a form of rehab. I do wildlife rehab in Texas, but we do like raccoons and rabbits and things, not rhinos. <laughs> tell me, tell us about that. So we um, ourselves support a couple of um, orphanages. Um, so I think uh, kind of why are there orphanages is maybe where we should start. So Another thing that uh, your audience might be interested in is to learn a little bit about um, the pressure that uh, our rhino populations are facing mm -hmm. at the moment. Not just the African populations, but other ones, um, the Asian populations as well, uh, and species. Um, there's a high demand for rhino horn. Right. Um, rhino horn is worth a lot of money, um, more um, than per weight than gold or anything like that. So it's, it's super valuable. Um, all for uh, the wrong reasons. Um, it, it has no medicinal value. Um, it's seeped in kind of um, hi history through Asian cultures, uh, the use of rhino horn. Um, and what we've seen through time is these kind of fads and these kind of uses of it um, kind of spike. So there's this kind of constant use of rhino horn over time. But we have seen these spikes, and we, we kind of been going through a spike since about 2007, 2008, um, where at the same time we were seeing a growth in the Chinese middle class and Asian middle class kind of growing, and people having more wealth, and it's um, it's kind of seen as a luxury product. So as wealth grows, so we see the, the, the demand for the rhino horn um, increase. Got it. So. We've been seeing a, a huge increase since since that time, since 2008, on uh, rhino horn um, uh, illegal harvesting, poaching, mm -hmm. um, using a lot of rhino. Um, and obviously, when uh, poachers go into the field, they see a rhino, um, say it's a mother, um, a female, they'll kill the, the female, but small youngsters that don't, haven't really, because their horns only start growing after a couple of months and into their first year. Um, they just leave those youngsters. Yeah. Um, so now we're left with a lot of orphans. So there's a couple of orphanages in South Africa. We support two of them. The great thing with rhino is that you can actually hand raise them to a certain age and then actually um, kind of rewild them fairly effectively. Oh, so nice. So they can move back into the wild and therefore contribute to the gene pool again. Nice. Which is... a, a an important part, and I, and I think that that's something you might experience with some of the care that you have. I mean, the the key is to always try and get those animals back into the wild. Right? Of course, right. Um, yeah. And then Leia tipped five dollars, we're at three hundred and sixty-seven dollars and eighty-seven cents. Um, while people continue to donate, can you tell them uh, what those donations help you guys with? Sure, of course. So a number of things. So we. The approach, we've got a fairly holistic approach to um, our, our work on the ground. And so we've, you know, as I said, so we started off running around after animals, spending a lot of time in the field. Mm -hmm. We've now employed 
um, we've got a whole team of, of people that are out there. Um, and, you know, as we start seeing these impacts on the species that we're following, we start um, realizing where those pressures are coming from. And we realize that we need to get more involved in those other areas. So anti-poaching, for example, mm-hmm. um, community engagement, awareness, education, um, spending time um, with people on the on the other side of the protected areas that are essentially the true custodians of these protected areas in Africa and um, trying to understand what their needs are and trying to understand what, what pressures they have and what would kind of push people into poaching, whether for bushmeat or whether for more high kind of value products like rhino horn or ivory or pangolin or whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. We've got a number of community projects that we work on. Um, I think uh, one of my favorites is we we run a four-day bush camp for children who grow up in rural areas and are just never given the opportunity to get out into these protected areas and to see wildlife through the same lens that you you or myself might have been privileged enough to be able to do. So to kind of see wildlife in the wild and, and kind of um, yeah, just spend time uh, uh, kind of watching and seeing how wildlife is rather than having to interact with it on a day-to-day basis or, you know, having, for example, elephant, you know, crop raiding or lions killing your cattle or whatever the case is. So your lens, the way that you view them are, are very different than, say, how we might from a more of a tourist or an enjoyment perspective. Yeah. So with that camp... Yeah, so with the camp, we try and get the children out as youngsters to try and build that emotional connection with wildlife like we might have been given an opportunity to be able to do. Um, and that's a real eye-opener, and um, it's amazing to, to take children out there and spend time with them as they see a giraffe for the first time or a black rhino or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's that's super important. We talk about that on this podcast a lot, is how that piece is missing in conservation a lot, is, is educating the people that actually live amongst those species. Um, so that's awesome. There, Hercules tipped $50 and Valerio t- tipped $10. Thank you. Um, okay, so if you don't mind, uh, we have a lot of viewer questions that have been submitted. You wanna get started on answering some of those? Right. It's, it's All right, fine. sweet. Um, let's see, the first one, Nim asked, what is your role in the Stanford University Program for Conservation Genomics? Good question. Um, I am the associate director of conservation for the program for conservation genomics. And essentially my role is to bring the conservationists that are working with endangered species and our genomics team at Stanford who are developing genomic tools to um, kind of think about how they develop those tools in partnership with the guys in the field and ensure that the tools are uh, feasible, applicable, and are answering the right questions. Um, so I spend a lot of time uh, talking to um, NGOs um, that are working in the field, as well as government entities that are um, responsible for wildlife in different areas. So we run um, doing a big project with Snow Leopard um, mm-hmm. and the African Lion at the moment. Okay. Very I have cool. previously done a big project on Tiger. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, I ended up there because my wife's doing a PhD um, at Stanford. So I was mm-hmm. in California for a couple of years. 
and to keep myself out of trouble um uh went and did some work with the, with the team there and i've kept and i've kept that on so even though i'm based back in africa i'm still work remotely um and help with that project Got it. Um, thank you for the $15, the guy that just asked that question. Wallace with $20 and Apple with $1. Um, $15 question. Yeah. <laughs> and then Schmied with 10. Um, a lot of people are also asking about the beeping sound. It's not a problem, but they're wondering what it is. Uh, bats. Um, fruit bats is what is the sound. Those are bats making that sound? Or it's... Yeah, the fruit bats. Really? I thought it was like a monitoring device or like a transmitter or something. No, they bats. Wow. That's crazy. Maybe. Oh, those are, yeah. So it's Wahlberg's epileptic fruit bat. Look it up. What's it called? (laughs) Uh, Wahlberg's epileptic fruit bat. Chat. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I didn't spell it right, but here it is. Wow, how cool. That's so interesting. Okay, thank you guys for asking I that question. I'll turn them down, I'm afraid. Oh no, that's completely fine. It's, it's not really a bother. They were just curious. Um, and then lots tipped $100. Uh, thank you so much. So we're at $573. Saying, is there a $100 question? No, it didn't come with a question. <laughs> just a hundred dollars um okay and then another question spiderland asks what kind of work do volunteers do once they've joined your organization oh yeah so we we've got a number of um, programs and work that we do that uh is um uh, what's the right word it's it's good for volunteers to be in to to kind of get involved so for example Walking onto Black Rhino on foot is not a great thing for volunteers because uh, you need the right experience and we, it's a, you know best for small groups. Mm-hmm. So we don't go dragging um, volunteers around in the bush after dangerous animals like that. What we do do is that people can join our teams, our monitoring teams that are specifically doing observational monitoring from vehicles or observational monitoring using camera traps. Mm-hmm. So people come across and spend time with with our um, wildlife monitors who are experienced conservationists and they're out in the field you know and um, for example at Mkuzi game reserve there's a pack of wild dogs there the guys get up at hoppers three in the morning so that they wow. leave those dogs as the sunrises and um, we've got a team we've got um vhf collars very high frequency collars that are emitting similar to these fruit bats actually mm-hmm. a constant beep mm-hmm and um so there's a specific uh, telemetry equipment that we use to locate those um dogs and the volunteers help us with that they help with gps recordings data recordings helping us set up camera traps um downloading the data from the camera traps going through all the through all the photographs to see um what's been caught on the camera traps um so yeah so that that's the main main effort is joining our monitor for a conservation experience and spending, and people come out for about two weeks at a time um, out into the field with us. How neat. Um, okay, and then yeah. we have lots of questions about rhinos specifically. So Apple tipped a dollar and said, are the grazing behaviors of the rhinos necessary to sustain the grasslands? Very good question. Yes, they are. Um, 
In fact, my wife's doing a study up in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which used to be the old the stronghold for the northern white rhino mm-hmm. um, species that is now pretty much extinct. There's only two or three individuals left. And um, so you get these grazing lawns um, that they help maintain. Um, hippo do the same. So these bog grazers that go out there um, and kind of push and kind of create very short grass and keep it very short and big lawns that are very good for other um, grazers to come to come in on um, and, and to utilize. So they play a very important um, function in the system. And then the black rhinos being browsers are more kind of in the thickets and the bushy areas um, munching on those, munching on the trees. Okay, cool. Um, and then there are a few questions that are about the same thing and people are asking if rhinos can live without a horn and about the practice of um, altering de-horning. horn, yeah, dehorning to prevent poaching. Yeah, so the dehorning has been um, actually a very effective program. Uh, you know, obviously you remove um, the prize and um, off goes the, you know, the poachers don't have anything to target in on. The problem is, is that um, rhino horn is like a fingernail, right? It, it grows from the base. You've got a base and it grows up. It's made from the same stuff. It's just keratin. Um, and so like hair. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you trim a rhino horn, it's going to grow. Right. Um, depending on what it's eating and how healthy it is will depend on the size of that horn um, and how it regrows and the, the rate of regrowth. But essentially, mm-hmm. we need to trim it at least every 15 to 18 months, so a year, year and a half. Keep it below a level that is um, attractive for poachers. So unless you are able to do that, then it's not a feasible approach and to dehorn a rhino and it's, takes a team it's of a guys process yeah i have a i have a video playing right now of you guys with the with them lifted and oh, cool. yeah yeah so so to catch a rhino is as you can imagine quite a quite a process so you need helicopter vet ground team once it's been um immobilized uh you've put putting the rhino at risk um so that's tricky as well so we don't like to Immobilize rhino unless you really have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime you immobilize an animal, it's it's risky. I'm sure you've been involved in, in immobilizations where um, you know you need a vet or someone monitoring that animal to, right. to ensure it's breathing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, so it's quite it's quite costly. So you can imagine big populations of rhino. You would need to have helicopters flying all the time and teams of vets and uh, quite a big expense to keep on top of it but right. for smaller populations um you know it's a very doable um, and feasible and effective way of keeping poachers out um, and then just to loop back on the question was you know how do they do without the horn females use a horn to protect their youngsters from predators so from lion hyena for example mm. and the males use their horns to fight one another like swords um so as long as with the males, everybody's got their swords taken away, um, then it's fair play. Um, and then with the females, generally the risk um, of poaching is greater than the predation from those predators um, when you're removing those horns. So it's worth removing that horn to protect it from the poachers, um, even though you're increasing the predation risk on the youngsters. Right. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Um, and then some people have also asked about the work with artificial insemination in white rhinos. 
Yeah, so there's um, teams looking at doing um, some of that work with the northern white rhino to actually recreate an embryo because they don't have um, sperm cells from a northern white rhino. Um, so there's a whole lot of very clever people working in labs and figuring that out and are, are looking at, you know, it's the same kind of thinking with these people that are trying to recreate the mammoth, for example. Mm -hmm. I, I've had them on this podcast, well, Reviver Store. <laughs> oh, you have? I have, yeah. Okay, interesting. What do you think about, uh, do you want to see mammoths um, on the planet? Do you think that's a worthwhile thing to be doing? I think it's bizarre. I, I think I, I'm... Yeah thrilled with their work with the black-footed ferret um they they recently yeah. did did the cloning of that ferret and that was really cool to see happen um i did i watched a few videos and read some stuff about their wanting to reintroduce a mammoth um i don't know <laughs> what are you what's your opinion <laughs> um yeah i mean it's great to have the guys on yeah I, you know there's people going to mars you know um, mm -hmm. which i think that if we took people were spending going to Mars and the money people were spending on making mammoths and just kind of directed it, educating everybody and ourselves uh -huh. on what we've got and trying to protect what we've got more effectively. I think we'd be in a much more, have a much more um, solid space to come from to be able to do those other explorations. Right. But at the moment where we are in ground on so many different levels, it's kind of like now we're spending billions in Mars or billions on mammoths when, right. you know, we lose the northern white rhino under our nose or you know the javan rhino Sumatran rhino what are we doing about that type mm -hmm. of thing you know so kind of sit in that space thinking we need to be a little bit more about what we've got and looking after that first yeah they, they've made arguments about uh how they think it'll help restore the habitat that they're planning on releasing them on but i think my reaction was about the same as yours um when i heard about that um yeah. So another donation that came through regarding rhino horns still uh, said, are the horns part of rhino's sexual attraction and would cutting them eventually result into rhinos no longer having smaller horns because there is no selection based on big horns? Um, so because we're removing the horns of both males um, that are competing with one another, mm -hmm. um, it's not clear what size horns that they have so selections not happening based on horn size at all and um, because we removed it completely got it um so yeah okay uh thank you for that question um let's yeah. see what other qu good questions you've got a very educated team of people listening in on here this is great yeah lots of really good questions that have come in um a lot of people are also asking about how you got into conservation, how they should get into conservation. I'm currently at a university studying wildlife media and I'm really wanting to get into conservation and animal charity work. What is the best way to get into working in this world? Um, for everything, you need a little bit of experience. So you, you need to kind of get out there somewhere or another. And that's always the hard part is trying to um, spend time in the field and finding those opportunities. Um, and that's why I really like our kind of volunteer opportunities because people can actually come out and spend time and just get to experience that kind of work and see if it's something that they really want to do. Um, and then, you know, once you've got a little bit of experience under your belt, it's a little bit easier to try and land your first entry position somewhere. But I always think it's important to do those internships, spend that time out there and really understand what it is and what, what element within the conservation space you want to go into. At the end of the day, I think 
you know, like myself, I'm a biologist, ecologist, um, but I wish I'd got more social skills, for example, and understanding, because that's where a lot of our stresses are coming from, is from humans, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as ecologists, we don't always understand humans very well. So trying to think about how do we reduce the demand for rhino horn products, for example. So we actually need to kind of lean on sociologists to help inform that. Right. And then the decision makers are all politicians, right? And so getting a bit of background within that space and the informed policy and kind of steer it in the right direction. So you don't have to be an ecologist to be a conservationist. You mm. can be a politician, a conservationist, and probably have a greater impact um, as a politician in, in the conservation space than what you can do running around after rhinos. So, um, yeah. That is fantastic advice. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I try to tell people that you, you guys can do whatever you love doing and still contribute. Um, we had a, yeah. I have a graphic artist and a couple video editors on my personal production team, and they just recently helped uh, create merch for the Diane Fossey Fund. Um, to sell yeah. t-shirts and, and they made a few videos for them awesome. as well. So they're not at all biologists, you know, or, or in the field, but um, they did make a big difference there. So that's yeah. very cool. Um, cool. I so mean, there's a, go ahead. There's a student who designed Ivory Ella. I don't know if you've seen Ivory I Ella. I have. Yep. And you know, he's one of the biggest fundraisers um, for, for the elephant fund um, and just because he, he came up with a cool kind of logo and, and yeah. mechanism. So, um, yeah, there's just so many different ways of being involved. Um, so, yeah, use your skills, people. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, I, and I think what, one, one big thing, Maya, sorry, is just, you know, people underestimate the value of travel and spending time and, and valuing these animals by mm -hmm. talking about them, going to go and see them, and, you know, we're really suffering through COVID um, with the lack of tourism because most of the conservation organizations' protected areas are funded and underpinned through tourism, right, especially in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, so we've lost a lot of ground, unfortunately, within that space. So, yeah, it's a big call out there just to say, as soon as you're able and willing, travel, go and see animals because that gives them value. Um, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, and then Connor asked uh, what kind of trackers you guys are using. That also reminds me, Connor is a friend of mine who does birds of prey. So we should also talk about vultures cool. before we close up here. Okay. So Connor, maybe you, you're thinking of like um, trackers, like track, not just the ground, but tracking like the collars and, and the like. So on the vultures, we've got these nifty little we call them backpacks. Huh? Um, have you used them at all, Maya, in yeah. tracking birds? I, uh, yeah, I fly my bird with uh, with telemetry with a backpack yeah. on. Yeah, so it's got, it's, um, you know, it's got a little solar panel on there um, and we use, it communicates to satellite via, you know, directly or whether it communicates to us with a GSM, so using cell phone technology to send um, locations. Um, so and so everything from just normal VHF right through to satellite technologies um, in terms of tracking devices, um, but very effective is just local not local skills and local knowledge in terms of tracking and following animals on their foot. Because at the end of the day, the trails and the tracks that they leave behind and the sign that they leave behind is very informative, and then we don't have to touch the animals. You know, they can just keep on being wild, and we can 
gather information um, non-invasively, which is what we always try and steer towards. So we try and do that before we think about having to put on a tracking device onto an animal because you always put them under risk, as I mentioned earlier, when you're right. mobilizing. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Um, and then, so what is the work that you guys are doing with vultures out there? So the vultures have a number of different um, pressures on them. And in our region, it's the harvesting of vulture body parts for medicinal uses, for um, traditional medicines ah. um, or, or traditional uses. So what happens is that there, um, a carcass from a, a wild animal is put out or a, or a, a livestock carcass um, and laced with poison. The vultures come in um, and are poisoned. And unfortunately, we lose a lot of birds like that and other animals that might come feed on that carcass. Mm. And the poachers come <clears throat> harvest body parts, normally the heads, uh, wings and things like that, sometimes whole birds. Um, so the work that we're doing has been tracking and trying to understand where these threats are occurring. Much about vultures, so just understanding the general ecology mm -hmm. is important before you can protect anything. Recently, we started a program trying to understand the traditional uses so that we can work with the traditional healers and think about are there alternatives? <clears throat> How can we think about a sustainable future that ensures that there's still vulture populations? Because at the moment, what we're seeing in our region is almost annihilation of vultures. So yeah. we've really lost one of the species um, that aren't breeding anymore in the space, um, which is super sad. And, you know, as, a, as the kind of nature's cleanup crew, um, and helping kind of control diseases and zoonosis transmission. Um, I think, you know, we've all learned a lot through this pandemic about um, wildlife trade and the transmission of, of disease. Mm -hmm. and here we've got a species that's critical in terms of helping us um, control those threats against the human population. So wiping them out um, is hugely problematic for a number of different reasons. And right. they provide us such a great service. So yeah. we're going to try and get them back on track. Cool. Um, I have a video playing right now that's showing that solar tracker that you're putting on the oh, backs cool. of the vultures. Um, how many, the video doesn't have sound, by the way, so they can hear both of us fine. Um, oh, cool. How many, do you know how many species of vultures you guys have out there? Um, so we're working with uh, four four different species, okay. um, but I think I think there's about uh seven i'm not the vulture i'm the rhino guy remember. right <laughs> of uh, course there's about nine across across the continent okay um but uh, you know globally vultures are all under pressure and threatened mm -hmm. um habitat loss is in um from a number of different things i mean india lost 98 percent of their vulture population and it's cost them billions in terms of health costs and in in rabies and different things that have happened following the, the loss of those vultures. Right. And we're starting to see a similar thing in Africa. So vultures, super important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, one of the most misunderstood species or animals out there. It's a vulture. Um, yeah, we need to, everyone thinks of them as like the ugly guys yeah. or whatever. I think they got a bad rap from Disney. Yeah. Um, and I think I think they could do with a bit of support, given the amount of support that they give us. I agree. 
Um, Corky tip five dollars. There've been a few other donations that have come through. We're at five hundred and eighty-six dollars and eighty-three cents here, um, and we have time for a few more questions. One of them I don't think has been asked before on the podcast, and I'm it's it's a really cool question. Um, vegan asked, you can ask one question to an animal of your choice. What would it be? <laughs> it's a really it's a hard question, but it's kind of cool. I'm gonna ask it straight back at you. What would yours be? Yeah, I don't have an answer to that yet. I'd have to, that's something I'd have yeah. to think about. I mean, I well, have an I initial have answer, but I don't know if it's like my definite answer. Yeah, that's a really tricky one. <laughs> There's just so much to ask and so, so many different animals out there that could, could, tell, could tell us so much about so many different things. Um, yeah. I'd have to think about that. That that's too good a question to just respond to quickly. Yeah, <laughs> that's a cool one though. My initial answer to that is we have uh, four parrots for our for my nonprofit here. We have an exotic animal sanctuary and education center, mm-hmm. virtual education center. Um, and I would like to know how much they understand or how much language they understand because they babble so much and, and their vocabulary is super impressive. Um, and sure. you know, they'll say hello when you walk into the room, but it's like how much is just, uh, making noise and how much is they're really trying to yeah. comprehend more, you know, or, or understand more. It's, it's really hard to, to figure out sometimes. That's well, my first answer. Communication, how much of that communication is audible, but you know, are they understanding versus they interpreting right. something yeah. or your beha- other behaviors or whatever, and how much of it's actually language type of thing. That would be interesting for sure. Yeah, um, I'd have a lot to yeah. ask. I'd have a lot to ask whales. Um, I don't know why, just because they they just seem like super intelligent mm-hmm. things that have been around a long time. A lot to ask elephant. A lot to ask rhino about why they're chasing up trees. <laughs> you know, just you know, why? Lots of, <laughs> yeah. Lots of whys and lots of outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I once had a. I've, interned at a parrot sanctuary over the summer in uh, San Diego, California. Um, And I had a parrot one time who didn't want to be taken outside. I said, do you want to go outside? He said, no, which is pretty typical. Like he'll say that every day. So that's like to be expected. And I was like, why don't you want to go outside? Not expecting anything. And he said, because it's cold out there. And I was like, that's (laughs) bizarre. Like that is a, that is a sequence of things. (laughs) That's a proper answer. Yeah. Hold out there, man. What are you thinking? I, yeah, I haven't stopped thinking about that interaction for a while. Um, so anyway, um, okay. Very cool question. So the question that I usually end the podcast with, we've kind of already touched on and that, that is, um, if they're not biologists and they're not in the field and they're not able to go out there and volunteer, what is the best way that you think uh, the people that are watching today can support uh, the conservation of the species that you guys work with? Um, just talking about it. Knowledge is everything. Awareness, understanding um, what pressures are being applied onto our wildlife populations and how fast we're losing them um, rapidly. And so get out there and see them before we lose them. And the more you get out and see them, the less of a chance there is that we're going to lose them, strangely enough. So, um, yeah, that would be my suggestion. But just talk about it um, and learn. Learn as much as you can. Um, We're losing ground fast. Got it. Um, 
it would be very cool to come out there. I, I do want to go to South Africa at, one, at some point. Um, do you, are you familiar with Our Wild Earth? Uh, well, you're welcome anytime. We've got um, lots of teams in the field and would love to host you. Um, that would be so, very cool. Yeah. Um, Get your jabs and, and, and come out. Yeah. Um, I'm fully vaccinated. Um, but Our Wild Earth does some really cool filming over there. Um, I, I think they're in, yeah. are they in Kruger chat? I don't, I don't remember where yeah. exactly they're so located. They, um, they film across a, a couple of different, I was actually in a reserve the other day and had them filming. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we can um, knock we, them both we, out. We see, them, see, see them out there. So yeah, come out and, and see what they're up to. And, um, we'll show you the behind the scenes, um, side of conservation and, and what happens and, and what it's all about. That would be awesome. And they would love the, the people watching and other viewers would, would love to see some of that stuff too. That's great. Cool. Thank well, you. Everybody's welcome. There you go. So go to the website and, and have a look at it and, and understand it. And yeah, we, we trying to do a lot of work with Stanford and trying to push those genomic tools and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So trying to become more um, hands off as much as possible, but that still requires kind of picking up poop um, The poops are gold mines of DNA and information mm -hmm. um, from animals. And it's non-invasive way of, of kind of monitoring and looking after them. Always need help doing those types of, of fun things and being out in the bush. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Chai. You can pick up poop, but poop that you've never seen yeah. before, which is cool. Give me your poop scoop. <laughs> yeah, there and, you go. Um, pick up little gold mines of information. Nice. Um, Meta tip five dollars. We're at six hundred and eleven dollars here. Also, somebody recommended that um, when rhinos chase you up trees, you try uh, Simon Says to tell them to not do I that. I, I have tried that once before. And, oh, yeah. and I told me to put his hands on its head, and if I could have, if it could have spoken to me, it would have told me to politely f off because it doesn't have hands. Right. Um, so, That's worth a shot, I right. guess. Can't hurt. Try. Good idea, Simon says. Yeah. The interesting thing is, I don't have to say the Simon says part. I just say. Right. Ah, oh, there you go. Loophole. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for the suggestion, Corey. I appreciate that. Um, okay. So I will send you an email with the uh, final amount of donations and then I'll send these over cool. after the podcast, but that'll pretty much do it. Um, here, do you have anything else cool. that you well, want to talk about or share? Well, just, yeah. Thanks everyone for the support. Thanks for getting on there, listening. Thanks for the invite. Um, and yeah, I, I really just encourage people to get out into wild spaces because that's what's going to save them. It's just our interest and in our being out there. I can't say it enough. Um, and they really need you right now because we've been shut down for so long. Um, so please travel, travel, travel and go and see as much as you can. Absolutely. All right. I appreciate your time. Thank you so cool. much. I will thanks, be in contact thanks, via everybody. email. Cool. All right. All right. Have a good night. Bye. You too. All right. That went by quick, didn't it? 356. I guess we ended a couple minutes early here. Um, why rushing? Uh, well, I'm not really rushing. I mean, it's 356 and it's an hour long podcast, but I don't know. It felt, it felt like it was closing up. Um, so we closed it up. <laughs> no tech issues. Man, there were so many more tech issues in that test call than what showed up today. We were super lucky. Um, that went really well. $611.83. Thank you so much. If you'd like to, you can continue donating while we finish up this podcast again. Donations are going into my PayPal because they don't have a PayPal set up, but they will be directed uh, to 
wildlife act right after um right after the podcast is over thank you for the dollar um and thank you for all your questions really really good questions today i'm sorry that i didn't answer all of them obviously uh but really good questions i appreciate them no more beeping i know i didn't really mind it maybe it's because i'm used to uh my telemetry <laughs> but uh good stuff all right um we have a quiz to participate in. Can't believe that was just bats. Didn't it sound so mechanical? I would not have guessed that those were bats either. That's nuts. And on perfect timing, yeah, <laughs> it was bizarre. Okay, so the way that the quiz works, chat. Five questions, 20 seconds per question. You win the quiz by getting as many answers right as fast as you can. Um, so you have to click fast and you have to click correctly. If you win the quiz, if you're already subbed to my channel, you can ask me to gift you a sub to any channel on Twitch or ask me to donate an additional $5 to um, Wildlife Act today. If you are not subbed to my channel, you'll get gifted a sub from me. So, is Google allowed for these questions? Absolutely, but you won't win if you have to Google answers, but you're welcome to Google answers if you just wanna get them right for yourself. Um, it's just, you won't win, because people click fast for this, okay? Thank you for the Twitch Prime, thank you for the subs throughout the podcast as well. Um, let's see how fast we can make a quiz, because now we're just importing CSVs instead of me manually typing in everything. Do, 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 bop. Mercury, thank you for the five. All right, points. One, two, three, four, five questions, 20 seconds per question, import questions, upload your CSV. Here we go, quiz number 62, holy moly. All right. Are you ready, chat? No, well, too bad, because we're starting the quiz. The first, I will try to read the questions before, um, before you see them, just so you have a little bit of time there. Um, the first question is, how long ago was the Wildlife Act Fund started? It's at the very beginning of the podcast that Simon talked about that. Oh no, an ad! Wait, we'll wait for the ads. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll wait for the ads, we'll wait for the ads. That's bad timing, that's bad timing. That's my bad. We usually end it, we usually end it this time and then... I can't figure out how to do the quiz. It'll just pop up on your screen if all works as it's meant to. <clears throat> Here's very nice. That was cool. Um, I need to go to South Africa. <laughs> I need to go to South Africa uh, to meet him and uh, to work with Wildlife Act and then to meet up with Our Wild Earth. And then I need to go to the East Coast to do whale watching with whale and dolphin conservation. 
um, because I'm still talking. I still like email this. We have an email chain that's so long. Like since the podcast for whale and dolphin conservation, do you guys remember that? I don't even know what number it was. It was a long time ago. I've been emailing them about like <laughs> setting up a trip and whatever. And I've been plugging petitions for them and whatever. Um, and then I need to go back to Belize uh, to work with trees that a uh, research station and um, the research island as well, because that island, the research island is going to be underwater within 50 years. So I'd like to go as many times as I can um, because of sea level rise. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's some like serious, ironic stuff. It's a research island for conservation. It's going to be underwater within the next 50 years. Yo, with the $20, thank you so much. Are you doing a fundraising stream like your last two birthdays? Okay, should we talk about this while we're waiting? The ad's probably over. Let's just talk about it right now. I should. <laughs> I realize that I should, but I just don't have plans for it. I don't know what to do. Because um, normally I stream at 11 a.m. on Mondays and it's uh, cringe in the kitchen. I'm going to be honest, I like cringe in the kitchen, but I'm not going to do a cringe in the kitchen on my birthday. Um, so... And then school starts at 2. Uh, and then after that, I, Ms. and I are doing stuff for the rest of the day. So it would have to be in the morning and... Nobody would be awake except for me. Which doesn't sound like very much fun. <laughs> um, Alveus, I mean, I could just go to, hello? I could just go to Alveus, but I don't really, I don't know, I don't really want to do that either go unschooled that sounds like the worst i, I do, not because it's a bad show the show is fantastic but i i will never go unschooled i cannot afford to look that dumb i just can't um all right we're starting the game the first question again how long ago was the wildlife act fund started quiz time was it eight years ago five years ago 20 years ago or 13 years ago so you're not doing anything i don't have anything planned i don't know <laughs> The correct answer is 13 years ago. I see easy, I see no's. I see an oh no. 13 years ago, 65 people got that correct. Well done, the majority of the people that answered anyway. The second question is, which rhino species does uh, the Wildlife Act focus on protecting? Is it the Indian rhino, the Sumatran rhino, the black rhino, or the Javan rhino? He said it once, but I think I was saying it wrong. I forgot to show the results. I'm sorry. I will do it again. A lot of people saying easy clap. Ronith needs help. Can anybody please share their notes with Ronith? The correct answer is black rhino. Oh, Ronith, that's it's not looking good, man. You're on your own. Nice. That was easy. Okay. 142 people got that correct. Who got it correct the fastest? Would you ever shave your head again? No. 
I don't think so. I think that uh, ship has sailed. I don't think I need to do that again. All right, don't worry about these. Don't worry about these numbers. They'll probably show up at the end of the quiz. Stealthy is in first, Spinning Squid is in second. But Sir Luxa got that question right the fastest. Besides these contestant numbers who may have done it correctly, um, we will see at the end. The quiz is kind of scuffed. Okay, next question. How do black rhinos get food? This is the difference we talked about in the beginning between black and white rhinos. Are they grazers? Do they hunt in packs? Do they produce their own food? Or do they forage? Tough question. We talked about the difference between their mouths, between a black rhino and a white rhino. Saying the answer in chat will do nothing. That's not how you participate in the quiz, unfortunately. I'm sorry, you have to click on the screen, but you're wrong anyway. <laughs> because the correct, because the correct, unless you're trying to throw them off, the correct answer is foraging. Um, so white rhinos are the grazers because they have more of a flat mouth and then black rhinos are foraging foragers because they have almost like a prehensile lip and they can grab um, brows. So 118 people thought it was grazing. That's tough. That is tough. 68 people got it right. Leia got that right the fastest. Well done. Then Loco, then Sneak. Spinning Squid is in the lead, followed by Stealthy. Oh my god, it's happening again. All right, two more questions. What type of, what type of sleep schedule do black rhinos have? Are they diurnal? Are they nocturnal? Are they crepuscular? Or are they degens? <laughs> This answer surprised me. Corgi 100% guess, that's fine. It's okay, Courtney. Squid's probably gonna win anyway. Let's be honest. You don't know what these words mean. Nocturnal is uh, awake at night, diurnal is awake during the day, crepuscular is awake at dusk and dawn, and degen, you guys know what that means. 90 people got it right, they are, wow, um, they are nocturnal, which is very surprising. Um, I learned that today, along with a lot of you learning that right now, because a lot of you said that they were diurnal. Um, <laughs> Carmel got it right fastest, then Ronjon, then Leah. She might be climbing. Nope, Squid's still at the top. Squid, then Stealthy, then Leah. All right. Le Leah. Sorry, I don't really know how to say her name. Um, last question. Is someone going to pull ahead of Squid? Why are rhinos poached? What is the main reason rhinos are poached? Is it game hunting? Is it to protect their crops? Is it for food, for meat? Or is it for traditional Asian medicine? That's kind of a tough, uh, that multiple choice is a little tough. Cause, cause if I was a teacher, I, I kind of would accept two of these answers. But the correct answer here is traditional Asian medicine. All right, most of you got that correct. Misclick, redo the quiz. Oh, okay. Sherlock uh, misclicked all for redoing the whole quiz. 
right. Leia in the lead. Nice. Pulled ahead of Squid. Squid, how's it feel? <laughs> he said no. Alright. What do you want? You want to sub somewhere else? I think you're subbed. Maybe you're not subbed. Are they subbed? For once, I make it to a conservation cast and I win. Okay, they are subbed. Um, so, would you like a sub to another channel or you want me to add another $5 to Wildlife Act today? Add five. Okay, um, is Locke, are you here? I don't know if Space can do that or not. I know that Locke can. Because um, it's going into my... Uh, my PayPal, so if you could just add it to the donor bar. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much. Um, all right. Chat. Episode 62? 62 of the Conservation Cast! Jeez. Um, I realized that we went live an hour later today. I also realized that these are now done once a month. Um, so... There are a couple reasons why um, viewership was a little bit different today, but cool thing about this podcast is prior to streaming, this is exactly what I was doing, except I was doing it in classrooms. So getting to do a classroom of like 30 kids as opposed to 20 was uh, a huge deal, right? Um, so having over a thousand people to talk to is incredible, regardless of what average viewership is for my channel or for this podcast. Um, it's also really important to me to give a platform to people like that, that are doing really good work that's beyond me, right? That are in freaking Botswana, <laughs> like on the ground uh, studying these things because they don't often have a platform like this to talk to a demographic like you. So if you're here, thank you so much for being here. It means a lot. Um, and I really, really enjoy meeting these people and I love raising money for other conservation causes and I love this podcast. I'm glad that we didn't drop it. I'm glad that we're still doing it. $642.83 today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your donations. I'm going to send those right over to the Wildlife Act. Um, and I am going to host somebody. I'll go ahead and host simply here. I'll raid simply. Um, the uh, platform twitch.tv is an untapped reservoir for doing good. I appreciate you guys being here. I will see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. CT for Knockout City. <laughs> and you guys can play with me, which is actually really fun because that game was fun. It's the like dodgeball one. You know what I'm talking about? Do you remember? I played with Matt and Svand. It's a fun game. So I'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. CT for that game. Um, and yeah, I'll see you then. Thank you for watching. I appreciate it. Um, schedule, when's the next stream? No Housewives tomorrow, because the next Housewives is going to be in person. Um, but I don't know. Imagine using CT time. It's 11 a.m. PST. I'm not gonna, like, what? <laughs> I live here. I'll see you on, I'll see you tomorrow, and then I'll talk to you more about the schedule for, uh, the, <laughs> the rest of the week. Bye.
amazing. Twitch is an untapped reservoir for doing good. Those of you who donate, thank you so much. It means the world to me and it means the world to those to those guests. It's still really important that you're here and that you're watching and that's amazing.